So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one size fits all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. My name is Selena Kulkarni and I'm a passionate investor, but with a difference. I spend half my time running a community for wealthy entrepreneurs looking to reach financial freedom in three to five years using exclusive real estate deals that deliver consistent, predictable cash flow. The other half of my time, I support motivated young adults who want to get started on their wealth building journeys. I've been a chartered accountant and investor in the trenches for over 25 years, but I didn't come from money. So I wanna help those who want to be self-made, master the fundamentals and fast track their financial freedom. I've had all the cuts and bruises in the past and now in this podcast, I wanna share real life experiences on what has worked, what hasn't worked and how you can take action that will set you apart from 99% of other investors so that you can get the results you want faster. I want to talk about three key metrics that are really useful to review at the beginning of every year. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is I'm going through a planning process right now where I'm working with uh, my individual high net worth clients to do some preparation for 2024. And it occurred to me that there's probably some key ideas in that planning that I can share with you guys that will actually help you get off on the right foot, if you like. One of the things I know to be true is that um, if you feel or see no progress, it's really easy to get disheartened. And there are a number of, if you like, key performance indicators, key measurements that I like to get my members and uh, my private clients to kind of measure, not too frequently, but frequently enough so that they can see some, some movement. But if you're really just at the beginning of your wealth building journey and you're trying to kind of get some positive reinforcement, if you like, that you're heading in the right direction, then I think it's you know, there's, there's probably two or three metrics out of the six or seven that I advocate that are really useful for you guys to just kind of uh, look at at the beginning of each year and kind of get a sense of uh, movement and progress. One of the things about wealth is that the numbers move very slowly. And so what we want to do is we, we don't want to get caught in this, um, you know, obsession of number one, focusing, you know, what's in our bank account or just focusing on our net worth, meaning that, you know, our total assets minus our total debts, because those two metrics by themselves only give a very one dimensional view of how we're progressing. So let me kind of give you some insights into the dashboard that I use with people and, you know, which ones I think I would pull out to share with you guys. So the first thing that I get people to kind of uh, measure is what I call Inkosi. So Inkosi is the Zulu word for tribal leader. And I've talked about this in a number of other podcasts, but essentially it is a measure of what percentage of your goal have you achieved. So let's say, for example, your goal is to achieve $100,000 in passive income and you have currently got assets that generate 34,000, then you are at 34%. Your INCOSI is at 34,000 and uh, can also be reflected as 34%. Now, one of the things that will make you feel great each year is to see that number go up. But if you're at the start, start of your journey, that may not be a particularly useful uh, metric because 
perhaps at the start of your journey, you're in stage one of your wealth building journey, which is all about build capital and less focused on passive income. So that takes us to the second metric that I get people to measure, which is net investment capital. Now, one of the things that we do, especially here in Australia, is we add in the value of our home to our net worth. Now, unless your intention is to use your home in some capacity to generate income, I say to some degree that that is a vanity metric and net investment capital is Uh, you know, really a more useful measure. And really what that requires you to do is to take out all of your personal assets that you keep for pleasure that don't necessarily, uh, you know, qualify as an investment. And that would include taking out your home. So whatever's like, let's just say, for example, you have an overall net worth of $2 million, but your house in terms of the equity that you have in it is worth a million, then you would subtract that to say, well, my my net investment capital is actually only a million dollars, not the two million. That is a much more useful number to track in terms of how good are you at allocating some of your premium income to go into your investing. And so that I do think is a useful measure to be thinking about at the beginning of every financial year or every calendar year, in fact, I think is probably the better way to look at it. The next one is your average net return on investment. So when you are in, say, for example, your growth mode, perhaps your average net return on investment would be a reference to how much your um net worth grew over the last 12 months divided by the value of those assets. This is something that as you move along, you might focus on combining your your cash with your capital return. But you know, if you're thinking about what's my net return on investment, really what you're saying is of the capital that you've got invested, how much um, growth do you get in the in the form of capital growth? or in the form of income stream. That's really what you're looking at there. So for example, and I'm, I'm looking at the uh, this particular one in front of me here, if the income from investments, as I gave in the example earlier, was say 34,000 and your net investing capital is $1.4 million, then you're getting 2.31% in terms of average net return on investment. The next uh, metric that I think is really useful to really focus on, and this is actually probably the universal uh, metric or KPI that I think is worth looking at is what I call lifestyle burn rate. I've spoken about this extensively in past podcasts, but essentially it helps you understand of the income that flows into your household, how much of it do you spend on maintaining your lifestyle? So for example, if your total household income was say 200,000, if you're bringing in after tax 200,000 into your household each year, and, you know, by the time you add up all of your debt repayments and holidays and entertainment, and it came to, uh, say, 120000 then you would argue that you have a lifestyle burn rate of roughly 60%. Now, that's actually pretty good for most households, depending on your attitudes to spending and money. This is one which, you know, we could go really deep on, but essentially, the trap that you want to avoid is believing that as your income goes up, that you deserve to spend more. There's no problem with spending more money if it's done proactively. Like if you sit down at the beginning of this year and you go, right, we know we're going to earn a little bit more this year. We know that our earnings are going to be roughly this, and we want to allocate this amount to our lifestyle. And we're happy to maintain a lifestyle burn rate of whatever, uh, 60%, 50%, 80%, whatever feels comfortable to you, um, you know, getting that tension right between 
uh, spending all your money in the now and, and really neglecting your future self versus starving your lifestyle now and thinking only of your future self is really like a spectrum. And, and part of the journey around wealth building is getting comfortable around where you sit. I think in my own journey, um, our lifestyle burn rate was, you know, you know, scarily low in our earlier years. It's probably, you know, a bit more modest now. Um, I don't think we're particularly extravagant people, but, you know, there's a lot of outflows when you have a large portfolio of assets. So, um, you know, sometimes those those boundaries blur. But in terms of lifestyle burn rate, I'm always very confident um, that, you know, ours sits roughly at the 50% mark. Now, I'm not suggesting, by the way, that you aspire to that. What I am suggesting is that if you um, are a couple running a household um, and you have the capacity to live off one income and save the other, then, you know, that's the sort of thing you want to be striving for. Obviously, if there's a massive discrepancy there, maybe that's not possible. But what you do want to do at the beginning of every year is go, right, what did we achieve last year? We earned this much in this calendar year and therefore we want to, and we can see that we've spent whatever, let's say in this example, 60%. And this year we want to strive to make it 55%. Or maybe you say, no, we're going to be earning a bit more this year. We want to keep it at 60%. So that's kind of a, a, the reflection piece, again, if you like, where you're proactively planning for what you want that lifestyle burn rate to be. The next uh, one is around gearing. Now, again, this is not a metric that moves particularly fast, but you always want to be saying, given the value of assets that I have, and so that's coming back to that net investment capital, how much debt do we have? Now, in the case of those people who have large mortgages, this is the instance where you would say, Um, What is my overall gearing? Meaning um, if I include the house and then I, you know, incorporate any mortgage related to the house, what percentage of my assets are, you know, geared, meaning, uh, you know, held in debt? And the reason that this is really valuable is as your wealth grows, what you want to see is that gradually moving down. When you're in your early years of investing, you can afford to be a little more aggressive and, you know, most people, when they're starting out, they want to borrow as much as possible. You want to always be uh, thinking about the risk associated with that. And as you age and, and as you get into, you know, more advanced strategies, you want to be constantly looking at that from a risk perspective. Because if you end up in a situation like today, where we're in a very high interest rate environment, it is very useful to um, actually. Um, you know, not only know that you can cope with the interest repayments, but also that you're not heavily geared. Um, there's a there's a great deal of comfort in that because in the event that you do have to sell an asset or, you know, manage your cash flow, you, you can do that. You have the liberty of doing that. If you're heavily geared and you've got high interest repayments, that is a very difficult thing to to manage. The next thing and final KPI that I want to mention today is what I call the wealth health quotient. This is something that I have done uh, an entire podcast episode on in the past. It's a concept that came from the millionaire next door. I absolutely love it because it's the great equaliser. What it does is it says, given the income that you've had and assuming you've had incremental increases over time, given your age, how well or how effectively have you converted that income into um, assets or wealth. So the way, the best way to describe this is that if you're um, earning really poor money, 
you can still have a very high wealth health wealth quotient um, in contrast to, say, for example, a surgeon who might be earning a million bucks per annum but has done a terrible job of converting his premium income into um, into assets or investments, and so he has a pretty poor wealth health quotient. So um, essentially the formula, which I have modified slightly for Australian audiences just because the real estate market here has disproportionately performed in contrast to many other countries, is your gross household income multiplied by your average household age. So your gross household income before tax multiplied by your average household age of the couple. So if you're a couple and one of you is 48 and one of you is 50, then the average is 49. So it's the the gross household income multiplied by 49 divided by five. Now that formula gives you some indication of what your net worth should be given your age and your current income. Now, people will have all sorts of protests around, oh, well, what if I've only been earning that for a long time and so forth? And please go back to my original podcast episode and have a look at that. But essentially, it's just a barometer. That's the way to think of it. It's just a barometer for giving you a, you know, a ballpark estimate of what you should be worth given your age and the income that you've had. Now, if you your net worth is at that number, meaning it's one times that number, then you're going okay. If your actual net worth is two times or three times that number, you are going phenomenal. It means you've done a really good job of converting that premium income into wealth. If you are below one, and I'm just going to give an example here. Let's say you've got a a formula which spits out that you should be worth a million dollars and your actual net worth is only 500,000, then your wealth uh, health quotient is only half, meaning it's only half of what that formula span out. So that means you need to give this some attention. You need to do some work. So guys, they're the five key KPIs I wanted to mention today. There's obviously some others, but um, the two that I highly encourage you to look at as part of your, you know, beginning of the calendar year, setting up some expectations for the year are your <clears throat> net investment capital and maybe your lifestyle burn rate. I'm going to highlight those two as the key ones to focus on because you should see your net investment capital grow through the year and you should see um, that you've either hit or, you know, improved on your lifestyle burn rate. So, The best thing to do as a starting point is look at what you were at the beginning of the prior calendar year. And if you can even, if you have the capacity to go back over two, three, four, five years and actually track it, you should be feeling better and better and better about this stuff because essentially you either want to maintain a certain lifestyle burn burn rate, but see your net investment capital grow, or you want to see your lifestyle burn rate improve. Um, or if your lifestyle burn rate has deteriorated, you want to actually understand why. So guys, I hope this has been a useful episode. The big takeaway uh, that I want to really kind of emphasize here is that, and this unfortunately has comes from a place that has nothing to do with wealth or not unfortunately, it comes from no, no uh, place wealth related. But my old yoga teacher used to say to me that um, where attention goes, energy flows. So if we give some attention to measuring and tracking performance, constantly constantly recalibrating what we're doing, our actions, our thoughts, our behaviours, 
then we're bound to see improvement. Till next time, take care. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to incosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.